Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 4.6 billion. The Earth forms. Cambrian. 542 million. Complex life explodes. Permian Triassic. 251 million. 90% of species die. Cretaceous tertiary. 65 million. Meteor kills the dinosaurs. 55 million. Primates appear. 2.3 million. Pleistocene. 200,000. Humans. 20,000. Agricultural 250. Industrial revolution. Great acceleration. The Anthropocene. Welcome to Generation Anthropocene, where we feature stories and conversations about planetary change. I'm Leslie Chang. Conservation is all about protecting ecosystems and landscapes from the destructive forces of human civilization. We want to save nature, preserve the beauty and sacredness of certain places. But in the Anthropocene, there is no place on the surface of the Earth that hasn't been impacted by humans. This makes conservation in the modern era more complicated. How do we prioritize what to save and minimize our footprint on landscapes that we cherish, all while recognizing that what we're trying to save is undergoing accelerating change? Today, our producer Michaela Elias brings us a story that gets right at some of these contradictions. But this story has a funny twist. What happens when the human footprint has actually created a landscape of accidental beauty? Should we try to save that? Here's Michaela. There's this beach four hours north of San Francisco that at first glance looks like your typical Northern California rocky shore. The ocean is energetic and the sand is a milky coffee color. But when you maneuver down the cliffs, bits of the sand catch your eye, glinting in the sun. When you get down to the actual beach, colors start to emerge. Not normal sand colors. Instead, there are greens and whites, some amber, and maybe even a couple blues. The beach is covered with smooth, rounded pieces of glass. It looks like a horde of kindergarteners sprinkled chromatic candy all along the shore. This is the glass beach in Fort Bragg, California. And it used to be covered in garbage. So yeah, so it was it was a dump site, but it doesn't look like a garbage dump. And I think that is part of why it's a tourist attraction. You know, garbage turned into something beautiful, and it is beautiful. I learned about the glass beaches at Fort Bragg two years ago. 
And since then, I've scrolled through dozens of pictures and a bunch of articles. A lot of the stories said that the glass is disappearing and that the beach looks nothing like the pictures you see online. So I decided I had to go see it for myself. Are we going to start over? Like who I am? Yeah. Okay, so I am Kristen Gordon. I work with state parks and I've been here for four years on the Mendocino Coast. (laughs) (laughs) I took a walk with Kristen along the bluffs that overlook the expansive Mendocino shoreline and on the glass beaches themselves. There are actually three different glass beaches, and I'm here to see the one that's furthest north. It's in McCarriter State Park, where Kristen is a park interpreter. Uh, we do environmental education. We, um, we speak to the public. We work in campgrounds. We run school field trips. We go into senior centers and talk. We put on campfire programs, junior rangers. A lot of people have a childhood where they recall doing junior rangers. As for what Kristen teaches those junior rangers... I tell him about my first boyfriend who littered on these Mendocino headlands. And when he did that, I broke up with him on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but, but it is true that the more you know it, the more you want to take care of it. I wondered why Kristen was so committed to taking care of this beach. She told me part of the reason is because she grew up here. I spent parts of my childhood here and part over in Lake County. Okay. So I'd be over here all summers and holidays, and I ended up going to school here too. And I spent all my allowance on junk food and ran down to the beach and ate it like I was not (laughs) supposed to do. (laughs) Sounds pretty ideal. It was pretty ideal. Kristen's descriptions were reminiscent of a quaint, artsy, oceanside hamlet. It was hard for me to imagine people here polluting the beaches. But Kristen pointed out that this was a common practice of seaside communities for centuries. It's not like they had recycling facilities 100 years ago. It was normal for people to just toss their garbage into the ocean. So they filled up several coves over the years. I think that started in about 1906. And it was free. So you just back up and you just dump your garbage in the ocean. And it made sense to them at the time. It seemed like a great place to get rid of your garbage. Um, But what they didn't know was that the rocky offshore reefs there was keeping the glass from and garbage from being pulled out to sea. So it accumulated. And they would fill one cove, and they would get full or hard to access and do another one. And there's, there's several coves of this. Throughout the 1900s, trash kept piling up. Locals referred to the beach as the dumps. The people in the government of Fort Bragg realized they had to come up with a way to cut down on the amount of garbage along the shore. And so they would fill up one cove, and when it got really full, they would light it on fire to reduce that whole pile of rubble which is horrifying because at this time there are tires and plastics and you know seat cushions in cars. They dump cars into the ocean, everything, um, and toxic stuff. So burning, the smoke was terrible. By 1967, things got so bad that the California State Water Resources Board closed the beach. Uh, it was full of rats, and it was pretty, pretty nasty, and the teenagers used to hang out down there and shoot the rats. A controlled dump was established nearby, and a lot of the trash from the beach was moved to the new site. In 1998, after 30 years of being closed to the public, the owner of the beach began a massive five-year process of working with state agencies to clean up the property. But by this time, glass from the garbage heaps had been tumbling around in the surf for decades. The pieces were too small and numerous to remove. When the cleanup was complete in October 2002, the California Department of Parks and Recreation purchased the 38-acre beach and integrated part of it into McCarriture State Park. And so mostly what you have now is glass, which is tumbled to nice 
rounded, just like a rock tumbler, but it's the ocean. So no one had planned it this way. But when the beach reopened to the public in 2002, it had been transformed from a garbage dump to an incredible sight, a beach carpeted with multicolored gems. And not only did the shoreline have a newfound beauty, but on top of that, it captured a history, an era when many consumer products were made of glass. The most common pieces are green, brown, and aqua, which used to be soda bottles, Clorox bleach jugs, and shampoos. The red rubies were once taillights of old automobiles and traffic light lenses. Some pink, lavender, purple, and lime green gems were once perfume bottles and art glass. The extremely rare sapphires are remnants of apothecary items like Milk of Magnesia and Vicks VapoRub, Noxima and Nivea and Bromo seltzer bottles. But look at that. That's, that's pretty nice. Poor man's amber. It's got little <laughs> bubbles and color in it. That yeah. was melted in fire. I'm How, sure. Oh, like the fires on the beach. Yeah. When they, yeah, you can see the two colors there. Look at that. So the there are pieces of glass melting. Pretty soon after the beach reopened, people started to hear about it. Today, the glass beaches have become a mecca for sea glass collectors and tourists who come from all over. I've had people from, I can't remember where it was now, some strange country I hadn't heard of. Oh, really? <laughs> um, and they come to see Glass Beach. It is our number one tourist attraction. Um, so I meet, you know, I'm learning different languages and uh, I can bark like a sea lion. <laughs> <laughs> but I've learned to say sea lion, Zihund. Zehund in, in German and f- seal in French, which is the F word in English, <laughs> flat out. <laughs> the car jam streets aren't the only thing that has changed in Fort Bragg. Because of all the tourism, the glass beach looks drastically different than it did even five years ago. Most visitors are here to collect glass. It's a little hard not to. It's a very addictive thing to like yeah. hang out on Glass Beach and be looking. It's kind of like Zen coloring. Yeah. You get very like look at this. You're standing. Okay. There's some melted conglomerate metal with pottery shard in it. Oh, where? Right this here. One? So that's some sort of tile oh, or something. Wow. And there's a bolt, but it's stuck in there. The glass beaches have been a huge draw for tourists, but the problem is that the glass is disappearing. So for Kristen and the State Parks Department, the big question is. Should they try to stop people from taking the glass? After all, it's old garbage. And it's kind of the reason people visit the area in the first place. But if they want to preserve the sea glass, what can they do to stop visitors from pocketing it? The answer is not much. Yeah. Um, it's not real well marked. And there's, there was, it used to be posted online that you could. And there's a lot of you know, uh, back and forth in the community about it. I'm down there about six hours a week during the height of the season. Uh-huh. But there's only so much I can do, and I'm not enforcement, so I can't enforce. I can ask people to use their conscience and, and leave the glass. Uh, sometimes I approach people and say, oh, that really, I understand, you know, it's beautiful, um, but, you know, we really should leave it for the next people because it's disappearing rapidly. And um, I've had people just look, look with their buckets in their hands, and they look at me, and they turn around and keep walking to their car. <laughs> And the problem of disappearing glass may be getting worse. While walking along the shore, Kristen and I ran into a woman who had driven all the way from Florida, 
only to find out the beach looked nothing like she expected. The thing is, is, you know, there's people like all of us coming to look at this and it's not here. I was disappointed. We've been to another beach down there and there was nothing. Here I'm looking and it's, it's not much. It's, every, it's everywhere. I know, but it's not as much as I was seeing in the pictures and the research I'd done. So I was disappointed. And, and I just, yeah, I just feel as though that we need to stop it. People, there's a lady over there on the beach on her hands and knees and her po- pockets are bulging. While Kristen and I chatted with the woman from Florida, a young girl, probably around 12 or 13, walked by clutching a plastic bag filled with sea glass in each hand. The Florida woman asked the young girl why she was taking the sea glass. As a memory? As a, uh, sorry, uh, and the woman straight up calls the girl out. Do you know that you're not supposed to pick them up? Uh, I do. <laughs> and so you're doing it anyway? Yes. Ah, okay. Because you can. This woman from Florida is not alone. Lots of visitors are frustrated and disappointed by the depletion of the glass. But on the other side are the glass collectors. Before I made the trip up to Fort Bragg, I called this woman. (laughs) So my name is Jonna, and um, I have a little sea glass website that uh, that I'm having great fun with um, called Beachlist. Jonna's hobby has taken her around the world. She's visited dozens of glass beaches in search of unique gems, and she shares stories about her sea glass collecting adventures on her website, Beach Lust. Like a lot of collectors, John is drawn to sea glass partly because there's such a sense of history in each piece. Sea glass can take, it takes at least 10 years just to get a little of the rough edge off of the broken pieces of glass. And then for the reaction of the salt water, it takes about 10 or 15 years just to get that frosted look on a piece of glass. So, you know, mostly glass that we find is at least 50 years old. Jonna told me the first time she visited Fort Bragg a couple years ago, she was astounded. I was just like a kid in a candy store. It was incredible. I'd never seen anything like it. Jonna says that in her experience, these smoothed and softened glass pieces can be more than just beautiful to look at. One of the things that I love about about you know trash to, to these beautiful treasures is um, I, I used to work with uh, in a drug rehab with um, addicts who were severely abused as, as children, and I they liked looking at the glass. They liked picking it up on the beach because it made them feel like you know they were discarded early on, and and they there's just no end to what they can turn into. You know they can they can still turn into this beautiful gem. I was thinking about my conversation with Jonna as I walked along the beach with Kristen, the park interpreter. I found myself sympathetic to both sides, the collectors and the people who want to preserve the glass. But Kristen pointed out that even if everyone stopped taking the glass tomorrow, the constant pounding of the waves is still causing the pieces to shrink and wear away. While the push and pull goes on between collectors and preservationists, nature is doing its own thing. And one of the complaints I hear a lot is it's all tiny, there's no big pieces. And I think that's sort of true, but that's also the natural breakdown of it. Conscientious people who leave it say, well, leave it for the next person. And you can do that for so many years and then it's just colored sand. Yeah, yeah. 
So it turns out that no matter how much education and regulation goes into protecting the glass beach, it still has an inevitable expiration date. About what happens when the glass beach is gone? Then it's gone. Yeah, nothing's permanent. Yeah, yeah. I do think that. Yeah. How should the people of Fort Bragg make decisions about managing this beach? Should they maybe even consider dumping more glass for future generations? What's the best conservation strategy here, given that the whole thing came about because we used to dump our trash into the oceans? The whole saga of Fort Bragg is a reminder that it's impossible to separate the human footprint from what's natural. Both the people taking the glass and the people that leave it are driven by an instinct to preserve this beach. But at the end of the day, the only thing we can truly preserve is its story. Thanks to Michaela Elias for bringing us that story. Our show is produced by Jackson Roach, Mike Osborne, Miles Traer, and me, Leslie Chang. Special thanks to Tom Hayden and Isha Salian. Our project is supported by Worldview Stanford and Stanford Earth. You can learn more about the podcast online at www.genanthro.com. We're also on Facebook and on Twitter, at Gen Anthropocene. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back on Thursday. Okay. Hang on. Okay.